0: Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, continuing our way through the the third chapter here in Philippians and uh, talking about pursuing the prize or the goal, reaching for the prize. And I just want to read for us this morning uh, verses 17 and 21. We're not going to go through all these, but brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have for us a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you, Often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ <clears throat> whose end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven for which we are also eager for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. It's a glorious portion of Scripture, and uh, we're going to spend a little time in it in the next couple of weeks. But we talked about last week the goal of the Christian walk, and. I kind of want to remind you of it this morning. It's very basic. It's very simple. Um, but I think, as I was mentioning earlier, in today's church and, and all the complexities of what's going on in today's world's Christianity or their brand of Christianity, sometimes we need to be reminded that um, some very basic things. And so uh, I want you to think that that spiritual living, the Christian life, is the process of becoming more like Christ. That's what it is. It's nothing more than that. Each and every day, becoming more like Christ. The the Christian life is a process of pursuing Christ's likeness in your life. It sounds kind of simple. sounds too simple almost. Um, We call that sanctification. We call that becoming more and more like Christ. And that's what the Christian is to do. And there's a lot of different formulas that you can go after. There's a lot of different ways that you can look at that. And a lot of times when you do it, you you lose the simplicity of the very fact that we're to pursue Christ. You remember, it was Jesus who said, follow me. Follow me. Follow my example. Um, He never once replaced that with something else. He didn't say, well, if you don't feel like following me, then follow. He never said that. He said, this is the goal of your life, to become more like me, to follow in my footprints, follow in my footsteps. And each and every day when we wake up, our goal should be to follow Christ more today than we did yesterday. The Apostle John said that if you belong to Christ, you abide in Christ. And he says, if you abide in Christ, then you ought to walk as Christ walked. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, he said, I have pain until Christ is fully formed in you. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, Be followers of me as I am of Christ. Christ. And last week we looked a little bit at Romans 8. And we looked at the purpose for which God saved us. And in Romans 8 we found out that the whole purpose that God saved us was not just to save us from hell. That's a benefit. But the purpose that God saved us was so that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. He saved us so that we would be like His Son. Christ saved us. Christ called us so that we would be like Him. And that's what the Apostle John reminds us of. To be like Him. That's what Paul is saying. I'm in pain because I just want to see Christ fully formed in you. So if you want to know what God's purpose is for your life, it's to become more like Christ. It's to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's what we're pursuing. So it becomes the life objective of every believer to become more like Christ, to pursue Christ-likeness. Now that's about as simple as you can state it. But there's a lot involved in that. That's not an easy thing to do. It's not like you just wake up tomorrow and say, well now I'm like Jesus. (laughs) And that's why Paul says there a little earlier on in, in Philippians, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, But he says what? I press on, and we looked at that last week, that I may lay hold of for that which Christ, for I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. In other words, the whole reason I press on is to become more like Christ, because that's why God saved me. God saved me to become like his son. And that's what we should desire. And he says it again, even in verse 13. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet. He didn't want them to think that he was being pious or being proud or arrogant, saying, hey, look at me. I'm perfect in every way. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, here's the goal. Here's what I'm after. That's why I like verse 13, because he says, but one thing I do. One thing. If you had to do one thing in your life, what would it be? If there's only one thing you could do, what would it be? Well, Paul figured it out. He did a lot of things. And before he knew Christ, he thought everything he was doing was in the the prophet column as we talked about. That it was somehow benefiting him in his relationship with God. But it just simply wasn't true. And so as a result of that, when he came to understand who Christ was, he had to dump all that stuff. He had to put all that stuff aside. Make sure you meet this other one. And the point he makes here is, I haven't arrived yet, but one thing I do. One thing. What's the one thing, Paul? What is it? He says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal. What's the goal, Paul? The goal very clearly is Christ-likeness. He wants to be like Christ for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It says that very clearly. And so we noted last time that the goal and the prize in the Christian walk are really the same thing. This thing's kind of hot. I'll turn it down. And so the goal is likeness, and we pursue it. But we don't have to reach it here in this life. But it becomes a prize that God kind of gives us in the end. And what Paul is saying here is, I haven't arrived yet, beloved. I haven't been perfected. There's some that teach in the church and certain churches that you can become perfect by a second work of grace somehow. In your, in your walk with the Lord, you reach a certain point, and there's a second divine kind of granting of grace, and all of a sudden you're made sinless. That's not true. But what Paul is saying here is that I'm striving to be more like Christ. And he basically leaves us with the necessity to understand a couple things. One of them is that there's an objective and a subjective element to this whole thing. An objective and a subjective element. The first one is the objective, and that's basically the element of the Word of God. If we're going to be more like Christ, we have to know who Christ is. We have to know what Christ was like. How are we going to know that? Through the Word of God, right? We go to the Bible. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why you know, everything about our church is contained in these, these pages of Scripture because it really discloses Christ to us it tells us who he is the Old Testament basically creates the scene for him and and creates the need for him and then the Gospels as you look through the Gospels it it creates it, it basically records his arrival his life the book of Acts you look at the book of Acts and you see wow what an impact this made on the world in the epistles the letters really talk about the significance of his life and his ministry for us revelation in the end is, is talks about you know basically the whole thing what's going to, how it's going to end up but Christ is the focus through the whole book we don't ever want to lose sight of that and as we study the Word of God we we want to study it so that we might know Christ better that's the whole purpose if you're studying it for a, any other reason you're missing the point of studying scripture I mean, sometimes we study the Bible for theology. Sometimes we study the Bible because somebody asks us a question we don't know it, so we go to the Bible and say, well, maybe I can find it in there. Sometimes we study the Bible uh, for the sake of argument. Sometimes we study the Bible just because we like to have biblical knowledge, and somehow we think that if we have enough biblical knowledge, that's going to impact us spiritually. I mean, it does make a contribution to that. But if you're studying the Bible for anything less than understanding who Christ is, you're missing the whole point. You're really missing the whole point. So the objective is the Word of God. The subjective element in all this is the work of the Spirit. As Christ perfects us, as the Holy Spirit works in us, if we're going to be like Christ, we can't do it on our own. We're dependent on not only knowing who Christ is and what Christ is all about and knowing what He was and what He likes and what He dislikes. We must study the Word. But we're also dependent on the spiritual work of the Holy Spirit within us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that as we gaze at the glory that is revealed, the glory of the Lord, the Spirit changes us into His image. So objectively, we're, we're, we're committed to studying the Word of God. We want to know Christ. And we go to the book that tells us all about it. And subjectively, we're, we're committed to the submission of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you're out there trying to do your own thing, <laughs> that's not good. God says, hey, I don't want you doing your own thing. I want you to do what I want you to do. And for me to... Have you understand what, what it is that I want you to do? You need to depend on me. You need to be empowered by the Spirit of God. You need to be filled or controlled, is the word, by the Spirit of God. That's why Paul says, you know, don't be, be filled with wine or with, with, with things that are, you know, not right. But be filled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to affect change in your life. You say, well, that sounds kind of simple. It does sound simple, but it's not easy to do. And I think that's why Paul says, the one thing I do, only one, I press on toward the goal of Christlikeness in my life. I mean, that's the whole focus of the Christian walk. If you had to sum it up in one sentence, that would be it, to become more Christlike. It's a very comprehensive statement, you might say. But the reason he says that is because it's within Christ. Turn over just a couple pages in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. I mean, do we understand what's in Christ? See, Christ is is everything to him, to Paul, and and it should be to us. Look at what he says there in Colossians chapter 2. Just beginning verse 1, he says... For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. And then it says this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why do you want to get to know Christ? Because that's where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are. You want to have knowledge? You want to have wisdom in your life? Well, they're in Christ. They're all in Christ. Look at verse 4. Now, this I say, lest any of you uh, any anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the steadfastness of Of your faith in Christ look what he says in verse 6 as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him rooted and built up in him established in the faith and as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving why do you want to do this well he goes on he says beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to who? Christ. It all boils down to Christ. And look at what he says in verse 9. Just another reason you might want to get to know him a little better. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What a statement. I mean, we could spend weeks on that. Verse 10. And you are complete in him. See, when you're in Christ, you're complete. When you're outside of Christ, you're incomplete. You remember back, those of you who are believers, before you came to Christ, something was right, something was missing. You didn't know what it was. You know, it's not like you woke up one day and said, "Oh, I know what it is. It's Christ, and I'm going to go follow Christ." No, you know, you were blind to the truth you're like me you were told the gospel several times before God opened your eyes he opened your eyes he took the veils off your eyes and allowed you to see the truth for the first time and you became convicted of your own sinfulness before a holy God and you you realized the only way out of this was was to repent to turn from your sin to a God who's willing and loving and gracious and wants to forgive you well, in that God in Christ dwells the Godhead bodily and we're complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Christ is that. I mean, there is nothing else besides that. And when He says we're made complete in Him, that's exactly what He means. It doesn't mean that you're made complete, but you still got to work on something. Practically, sure we do. We're not. We don't live perfect lives. But as far as our standing before God goes, it's complete. There's nothing else we can add to it. It's all in Christ. And so when you study the Gospels, I pray that you study them so that you can know Christ better. Because he must be our focus. Sometimes people ask me, well, you know, you you teach a lot out of the New Testament. I like the Old Testament. We try to teach out of the Old Testament as well, but I'll tell you one thing. I'd rather spend time in the Gospels where I can learn about Christ, where it's easier to learn about Christ, than in an Old Testament book that is giving anticipation of Christ. Not that we shouldn't study the Old Testament, I'm not saying that. But I think predominantly, as Christians, our interest should be in the life of Christ. That's who we're called to be like. How are we going to know what he's like if we don't read about him? So when you read the Word of God, let it speak to you of Christ. Let it reveal the glories of Christ to you. That should be the goal. It shouldn't just be to memorize a chapter or learn something theologically or whatever. All those things may happen. But if you walk away from a passage of Scripture and you say, I don't know any more about Christ, you better read it again and again and again and again until God shows you here's how it links up with Christ here's what it means and as you yield yourself to the Spirit of God you know he is just gonna unveil Christ to you like you've never seen him before and it happens through the pages of Scripture through the work of the Spirit in your life and so in verses 12 16, Paul kind of exhorted the readers to do that. He exhorts us all to move in a certain direction, to press on toward this goal. He says even in verse 15 there, he says, therefore, let us as many as are mature, some translations say perfect. Have this mind, and if anything, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now, you stop and you read. I just got done saying, well, Paul didn't say he was perfect. And now you're reading a verse that says he's perfect. He's not talking about practical perfection here. He's not talking about living a perfect life. He's kind of doing a little play on words, you might say. He's saying as many of us are positionally perfect before God because of Christ, that is, we've been made made perfect in Christ positionally. When God looks at us, He he looks at a righteous being in Christ because of our position in Christ. But practically, we're not there yet. See, someday our position in Christ will work out practically in our life because we'll be glorified like Christ like our Savior I mean I don't know about you but I get excited about that day when you don't have to deal with sin, you don't have to deal with attitude, you don't have to deal with you know depression and all sorts of physical ailments I mean one day we're going to be in the presence of God our Lord and Savior and we're going to be complete totally whole spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally I mean that's why we should look into the clouds and say come (laughs) Lord Jesus, we should long for that day. But he says there, have this mind or have this attitude in verse 15. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. See, the church is full of people, I believe, who aren't interested in pursuing the prize. Paul just told them what to do. And then he says, here's what you should do. But you know what? <laughs> Basically what he's saying is, if you're not gonna do that, if you have something else in your head, you want to pursue something else, kinda like you're on your own. I don't I don't know what else to tell you. He's saying God's gonna have to reveal that to you because I, I don't get it. Why wouldn't you want to become more like Christ? Some people are content where they are. They're just kind of leveled off in their spiritual walk. And they don't want to grow anymore. And that's why Paul says, if you have a different attitude about this, you're going to be accountable to God. Now he brings out here in verse 17, he says, brethren, which is kind of a a term of endearment, you might say. And he says, join in following my example. And that's kind of the first thing here that he wants us to understand. He kind of gives us three elements, three things that we need, three actions that we need to take if we're going to pursue Christlikeness. And he lists those out for us in verses 17 to 21. And the first one there is, I think I lifted them in your uh, outline, but the first one is following after examples. Following after example. That's the first thing... You need, and, that, and that's what he says there in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now, some people say, man, that sounds kind of arrogant. Who is he? You think he is? You know, he just got done saying he didn't arrive, and now he's saying, hey, follow me. You know, you had to be my example. I guess the easiest way to, and it's not even a complete illustration, but the easiest way to understand this is this. He's not putting himself on a pedestal. That's not within his heart at all. He's not saying, I'm perfect, be just like me. That's not his point at all. As a matter of fact, in first 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, I am foremost of sinners. And you notice in that verse, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he didn't say, I was foremost of sinners. He says, I am foremost of sinners. And surely he understood the principle in 1 John 1.7-9, if that we say we don't have any sin, that we make God a what? A liar. So he wasn't preaching perfection. He wasn't sitting up there saying, oh, I have arrived. Follow me. But I think what he's doing, I like to go rock climbing occasionally. I used to do it more than I do now. But my nephew and I used to go over to Castle Rock over off off of uh, Saratoga there up in the hills, skyline. And uh, we'd go up there. And I remember when we first started out rock climbing. Some guy in in a church that I was involved with over in Milpitas took the youth group one time. And this guy took us and, you know, he had all the equipment, but he kind of made us do it the old-fashioned way. So we had webbing that we tied into Swiss seats. If you've ever tied a Swiss seat, guys, you know, it's not real comfortable, but that's what he had us do. He had us do this Swiss seat thing, and, you know, you'd take this big, long strap, and you'd put it between your legs and all around, you tighten it up and everything, then you put a carabiner on there and and what he did was mostly top roping, in other words, he would go up and tie the r- rope off on top and both ends of the rope would come down the face of the cliff, you would hook onto one end of the, the rope and you'd have a guy on the other end of the rope and he'd be on belay. This guy basically is the guy that, that's he's, he's your life, <laughs> if he doesn't stop you from falling you're going to die. And so, usually, you have, you know, trust in this person. And uh, I remember that, you know, after I got introduced to rock climbing, I thought I'm kind of scared of heights and stuff, and I thought this would be kind of interesting to get over my fear of heights. Still kind of scared of heights, but I go rock climbing once in a while. So, my nephew and I, I didn't know a lot about it. I bought a rope, bought some carabiners, you know, bought some things basic items that you need to go rock climbing. So, we go over there to Castle Rock. And, uh,. I remember. I mean, we had sneakers. We didn't have rock climbing shoes. We had sneakers, and uh, we had just shorts and a t-shirt kind of things. It's you know, kind of the springtime, summer. It's a little warm over there on the rock. And uh, I remember standing there, thinking, "How are we going to tie off? How do we get up there?" I mean, there's this pole on top of this rock, but how do you get up there to tie off the pole? I mean, the guy didn't share that with me. So we're sitting there looking and everything, and, and I remember that you know there's a guy up there. He's already up there, sitting up there, eating his lunch or something. I don't know what he was doing. climbed up, obviously. He didn't have a rope, so he must have been doing what he was, knew what he was doing. He wasn't tied off or anything. And so he goes, oh, you want to tie off up there? I said, yeah, yeah. How do you get up? But he's already up there. And he goes, oh, you go over there on the other side. That's all he said. I'm like, okay, is there a ladder or what? You know, we're looking. And it's like there's no way up to the top. How do you get up to the top of this rock? So I hollered back up and said, hey, I'm not seeing this, you know, what you're talking about over here. There's nothing here. You know, it's just rock. He goes, oh, no, no, you got to kind of go through the, the crack there. You put your hand in the crack and you pull yourself up. And I couldn't see him. When you get close to the rock, I couldn't see him up there. I could just hear his voice. So he's telling me, yeah, you know, you need to put your right hand. And he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm just getting really irritated at this guy. It's like, you know, how did he get out there? And the problem was he was already up there. Finally, this other guy came. And he had rope, and he had some kids with him. And, you know, we're standing there. We just look stupid. You know, we got all our equipment. And it's like, duh, you know, we're standing here in the dust. You know, this guy's yelling at us, trying to tell us how to get up the rock. And uh, so this other guy, he said, oh, you know, you want to tie off on top? I said, yeah, how do you get up? He goes, come here, I'll show you. So he took me over. and He goes, all right, first of all, and he's right there with me the whole time. He said, put your foot here. Put your, and it was so easy. I mean, next time I went over there, I went right up. No problem. Tied off. We had a good time. But it was so hard when this guy was shouting instructions. He was already up there. I didn't see how he went up. And see, this is the thing that you have to understand is when Paul is saying join in following my example, how frustrating would it be if Christ just came out and said, you know what, you need to be like me. (laughs) I'm up there at the right hand of the Father. You need to be like me? Come on, do it. And you'd be like, how? You're God. I mean, how am I supposed to do this? Sure, he lived a life, and sure, he left an example for us. But you know what? He was God. So he was already on top. (laughs) Even while he was living his life out before men and women here on earth. And what Paul is doing is saying, hey, you want to go up to the top? I'll show you. Follow my example. And sometimes God raises men up who, who, who fit that. And Paul is one of them. There's others. We all should have some kind of model that we look up to spiritually in our Christian walk so that we cannot just hear the shouting from the top saying, hey, you need to be like Christ. You need to be like Christ. Yeah, but how do you do it? Well, here's how you do it. Well, what do I do when I'm struggling with this sin or doubt or lust or, you know, blah, 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 on and on? You know, it's a lot easier to to pull somebody alongside of you and say, you know, you're on this journey too. How do you deal with this? And then you can follow the example that's laid out before you. That's what Paul wants them to understand here. He's saying, hey, I'm a sinner just like everybody else. But you know what? I'm not giving up pursuing getting to the top of the rock. I'm not going to give up. I mean, my nephew and I could have left after five minutes and said, this is impossible. And if that guy wouldn't have showed up, we probably would have, to be honest, because we got really frustrated. But Christ gives us examples, and that's the first thing we need to do. How do we deal with struggles? How do we deal with a fallen flesh? How do we deal with trials and temptation? How do we deal with sin in our life? You know, you can't just look at Jesus and that's it and say, oh, I guess I'll do it just like Him. No, you need somebody to come alongside of you and say, hey, here's how you do this. Here's how this is fleshed out every day. And He's not saying here that His example is perfect. He would never presume that or say that. But he's definitely saying that you need an example to follow. If you're a Christian here this morning and you don't have an example to follow in your life, you don't have anybody to come alongside you, you're an island. That's not going to work very well. We need that accountability. And not just accountability, we need that encouragement. You know, a lot of times we look at a relationship with another man or another woman or whatever it might be, you know, as, oh, okay, they're going to hold me accountable. That's the big thing. There's so much more than that. I mean, you can learn so much more by just having a relationship with somebody and seeing how they, they deal with things, how they handle their temple, how, temper, how they handle their possessions, how they handle their relationships. And they can probably learn from you as well. And here we have somebody in the Apostle Paul that was pretty much at the top of his game. I mean, if we're going to follow somebody's example, he would be definitely somebody to follow. In, First Thess- in Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord whom we imitate. See, that's that's the process. I mean, once you come to Christ, it's all about imitating Christ. And as you're imitating Christ, hopefully other people can look at you and say, Oh, you know what? that makes sense. I want, I want to follow that too. And you become a pattern, a way of life for someone else. But if you yourself aren't focused on becoming more like Christ, if you yourself aren't focused on 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 pursuing the prize of Christ's likeness, then it's going to be kind of hard for somebody else to look at your life and say, "Okay, now I see how you do I see what it takes. It's going to be hard for them to look at you and say, yeah, I want to follow your example of Christ likeness if, if you're not even pursuing Christ. In verse 17, he says, in following my example, and note those who so walk or observe those who so walk. Fix your gaze on them. Sure, you know what? Our, our focus ultimately should be on Christ. I, I mean, that's what the Word of God tells us. But you know what? Between us and Christ lies <laughs> a lot of examples of Christ-likeness that we could follow. And yet so many times I see believers, they do just the opposite. Instead of going to Christ, someone who's following Christ, what do they do? They go to the world. They get advice from the world. They go just the opposite direction. We have to remember, beloved, that Christ is the goal. Christ is the standard. He's the model. We're to be like Christ. And when we yield to the Spirit of God who keeps molding us into what He wants us to be, that's how that happens. It doesn't just happen by coming to church. That's part of it. It doesn't just happen by reading your Bible in the morning. That's part of it. But all those parts have to come together with that, under the umbrella of that one thing that Paul pursued. And that's to become more like Christ. Be an example in speech, and conduct, love, faithfulness, purity. Paul, in writing to Timothy, he says, be an example, be an example, over and over and over. You know what? That's a very humbling thing. Because a lot of us, we look at our lives and we're like, <laughs> I'm not a very good example. You remember last week, one of the first things that you need to pursue the prize is what? An awareness that you don't have it. An awareness that you don't have it. In other words, an awareness that, yeah, you know what, I'm not perfect. I need Christ every day, and that's where my focus needs to be every day. You see, when it happens that way, there's no pride involved. When you realize that you couldn't do this on your own, <laughs> There's no pride involved in that. Where's the pride? The pride is lost. Because if you're going to glory in anything, you have to glory in Christ. I wouldn't want to think of where I'd be today if, I, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ in my life. And I wasn't necessarily in my own mind a bad person by a lot of people's standards. But I'd be lost if it wasn't for Christ I wouldn't have completeness in my life. I wouldn't understand what forgiveness and grace and love, all those, those benefits of salvation, I wouldn't understand what they are. None of us would if it wasn't for, for Jesus Christ in our walk, in our life. So Paul says, brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as You have us for a pattern." He goes on in verses 18-21 and he talks those who you know, aren't following the pattern at all. We're going to touch on that next week. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we come before You this morning. Lord, we thank You that You're a God who laid down for us an example in Christ. Not only in Christ, but also in Paul and even in people within our own church. Lord, we can look around us and see examples of faithfulness, examples of Christ-likeness, examples of of people who have been through trial after trial after trial and yet still hold on to their faith. I don't know about anybody else, but I want to know why. What, what, What helps them do that? How do they live their life? that they can go through difficult times in life and still praise God I want to know how we can deal with the practical issues in our life the little sins that always creep up that we struggle with every day father maybe there's somebody here in our midst that went through that same struggle And Lord, maybe they still struggle with it a little bit, but God, you've given them victory in areas of their life. Lord, we need to share that. We need to be bold about that, because that's an encouragement to others. Lord, we thank you that our ultimate example is Christ, but help us never to forget that you've placed those around us, all around us, who we could also follow, as they follow Christ. Father, we pray for anyone here this morning who has yet to put their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that just through our time together this morning that they would realize that this is a Christ-honoring time, a Christ-exalting time. We're not lifting anybody else up but Christ. We're all in the same boat together. We're all sinners saved by grace. And we need that grace every day. And Lord, it's by a simple cry out to you, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. Touch me with your grace. Forgive me. He can make you complete too. God's leading you in that direction. If God's touching your heart, that's between you and Him. But He wants you to, to cry out to Him. And after you do, tell somebody about it. So that they can encourage you in your walk. And for us believers here, help us never to grow weary in, in being bold about the Gospel of Christ. About being bold for, for what we've been saved. To become more like Christ each and every day. Father, we thank You. And we praise You in Jesus' precious name. Amen.